So it's been a wonderful study. We're not quite through. There, you know, there's some chapters of Scripture uh, that you get to teach as, um, as you go through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, from Genesis to Revelation. There's some chapters that are difficult to teach, um, challenging to teach. This is not one of them. Revelation chapter 19 is a, a fun chapter, a wonderful chapter, because, uh, of course, it speaks of the second coming of Jesus Christ. So if you'll turn to Revelation chapter 19, we'll look at that tonight. May our hearts be warmed as we go through this chapter. As we are making our way uh, uh, through Revelation before we get into our study, a couple quick announcements as we find ourselves in October um, is that we do have... Uh, the high schoolers that are meeting upstairs in the youth, uh, they're giving them uh, a schedule for October. So the high schoolers will be here on the 5th, this Saturday, 6 to 8 o'clock. And then also there's some fall hikes coming up on the 12th, the middle schoolers. And then the high schoolers on October the 19th, they're going up to Rocky Mountain National Park. So parents, make sure that you sign a permission slip and they bring everything that they need to bring and all the information's at the information desk and also up in the youth room. And you can talk to Pastor Luke, who is going to be taking them up. So middle school, high school, youth, fall hikes coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, there is also, ladies, don't forget the Ladies Chili Supper, October the 18th. That is on a Friday evening, 6 o'clock. It is free. We do this annually. Come and um, be blessed. So uh, you can sign up for that, the information desk, if you are planning on attending. Also, there is the First Fridays Fellowship, Young Married Couples coming up on the 11th of October, and that is um, a week from this Friday, and that'll be at 6 o'clock here at the church. So a lot of things going on that are taking place coming up in October, so get those things on your calendar. Also, to remind you that uh, we are sending out e-bulletins, so the bulletin in um, through email, and a lot of you got that. If you aren't on our emailing list, will you please uh, let Pastor Jim know uh, or call the church office and talk to him, and he'll make sure that you get that e-bulletin. It's kind of nice because uh, it's nice to be able to pull it up whenever you need to on your uh, smartphone or you know whatever, uh, wherever you're at. And I always lose my bulletin. From here to my office, I lose it. So, um, But it, we will keep printing these out. But those e-bulletins are available for you and, and um, really nicely done. So take a look at it. They go out on Fridays. So that kind of gives you a little time to look at it as we head into the weekend. So just wanted to let you know about that as well. And it has all the information on it um, that you have in your bulletin. So hopefully we'll save a little bit of paper on that. So if you come in, you still want a bulletin, you can get one. Or you can say to the greeters, hey, I got it right here on my phone. I got an e-bulletin. And we'll see how that goes. But that's the way most churches are going, just kind of going uh, using technology to save on paper and things like that and make it more convenient for you as well. So other things that are there in your bulletin or uh, coming up, but I think I covered most everything. So, Father, we do ask that you would just bless this time in the study of your word. And um, we are so grateful that we can be here and go over this incredible chapter. Um, this is our future. And we are looking forward um, to this event. Jesus promised that he would come back, and he is going to come back. 
And, and Lord, uh, as everything is culminating to the second return of Jesus Christ, um, there's a message for us today. Uh, we are waiting for you to come for your church. We are looking forward when we come with you to in the second coming. And so, Lord, um, we pray that um, this would excite us and help us have an eternal perspective as we live our lives. And, and that's what we need. Um, uh, this world is going to come to an end. And the side of eternity will come to an end. But, Lord, what you have for us is, is forever and ever. And we look so forward to that, being with you and having dinner with you and then coming and ruling, reigning with you in the millennium reign. And then the new heaven and the new earth, uh, the new Jerusalem uh, that will be with you forever and ever. So, Lord, may it cause us to have joy and may it cause us to keep our hearts and mind on you in every way, every day. So we give you this time to minister to us uh, as we read your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we chronologically have been going through the book of Revelation, as you know, starting in chapter 6 all the way to chapter 19 here, we are seeing now the end of that seven-year period that uh, is called the tribulation period. It's more formally called Daniel's 70th week. And as we've been looking at the different events, all kinds of things that are taking place as the sealed judgments opened up, the, the coming of the Antichrist, the first sealed open up. He's riding on a white horse, conquering unto conquer, and he has a bow but not an arrow. He comes as a man of peace seemingly as it correlates with Daniel chapter 9 verse 27. But as we see that he takes center stage, a lot of things are taking place in the tribulation period. We have the 144,000 that are evangelists. You have tribulation saints that are being persecuted. You have the temple that's standing in this place in, in Jerusalem uh, with the two witnesses that are there in chapter 11. You see that the Antichrist goes after uh, the woman in chapter 12. There's one that comes alongside the Antichrist, the false prophet. And then we have the seal judgments and the bold judgments. And we saw the last couple of weeks as we saw that religious Babylon uh, would be destroyed by the Antichrist, that worldwide false church on the scene in the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. And then we saw last week in chapter 18, commercial Babylon being destroyed. And so God is pouring out his wrath during this seven-year period on a Christ-rejected, sinful world. And at the end of that seven-year period, called the tribulation period, that we've been looking at, uh, we will see at this time Jesus coming back to, to literally, physically, Touchdown on the Mount of Olives in the second coming of Jesus Christ, and then he will establish his kingdom here on the earth. We will see that in chapter 20 in what is called the millennium reign of Jesus Christ, where he's going to reign for a thousand years. He's going to rule over all the nations. Righteousness is going to cover the earth as waters cover the sea. And I just want to say this. It really is amazing how many churches, even evangelical churches, are saying today that there is no millennium reign. 
that they're all millennials, which means all means no, no millennium reign. And, and we see throughout the scriptures, as we even went through the book of Isaiah before we went through Revelation, that Isaiah spoke a lot about the millennium reign of Jesus Christ when he will come and rule and reign. And so that is something that is spoken of all throughout the scriptures, and it will happen. There will be a millennium reign. So you want to come to that Bible study. Jesus would promise that he would return. You recall in the Olivet Discourse that's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and Matthew's narrative of uh, his teaching to his disciples about his coming. He would say, as for the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. He would say that uh, in his coming, he's going to come back with great power and glory. Now, you recall that as we were in chapter 16, that we were seeing the bold judgments that were being poured out on the earth. They were severe. They were brutal. And in chapter 17, again, religious Babylon, that would be uh, that false world religious system that was set up, would, would be destroyed by the beast. And then chapter 18, commercial Babylon was judged. In one hour, that city destroyed. Now chapter 19, we come to read that after these things, metatata, we've seen that turn throughout the book of Revelation. I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Verse 3 again they said Alleluia her smoke rises up forever and ever and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying Amen Alleluia and then a voice came from the throne saying praise our God all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. So here we see another great multitude, the 24 elders, the four living creatures that we first saw back in chapter 4 of Revelation. And, and they all join in as, as they're saying, Alleluia, Amen, to Babylon being judged and, and destroyed, the Babylonian system, the worldly system that has deceived the whole world. And part of the great multitude here would be the the martyred saints that died in the hands of the Antichrist. Remember when he goes into, in the middle of the tribulation period, into the temple in Jerusalem, which is interesting. Uh, we're going to be going, a group of us are going to be leaving in three weeks to go to Israel. And it's interesting because there has been more and more talk about building the third temple. So it's going to be interesting to come back and just kind of let you know what the talk is about building the third temple and even the political leaders are talking more about it which they never did before so there is going to be a temple that is going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem and the Antichrist will go into that temple and he will set himself up as God to be worshipped as God he alone wants to be worshipped so he destroys that false world uh, church that's on the scene and then he begins to persecute those who come to Christ during the tribulation period as a result of 
of the 144,000 that are evangelists that we saw in chapter 7 and the two witnesses and an angel that's going to fly and make that proclamation in chapter 14 given the everlasting gospel. Many in the tribulation period will come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but the Antichrist is going to go after them. So we saw in chapter 6, verse 10, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood uh, on those who dwell on the earth. And, and the martyr saints, they cried out for God's righteous judgment. And here we see that their prayers are being answered. Notice that this great multitude is saying, as we read in verse 1, that salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is not found in anyone else or anything else. It's only found in the cross of Jesus Christ and coming in faith to him and asking to be forgiven and surrendering your life to him and believing that he rose from the grave. It was Peter that declared to the religious leaders in Acts chapter 4 that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We know that Jesus declared that he is the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ alone. And that is the truth that is being questioned and challenged in the world, obviously, but even in the church at large today, more and more. So we see, once again, salvation belongs to the Lord. And second of all, glory, honor, and power. Now, this is something that we have talked about quite extensively that the Antichrist wanted as he wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to set himself up as God as he's directly influenced by Satan. It's something that Satan, Isaiah chapter 14, declares to us. Lucifer, who wanted to sit on the throne, he wanted to be worshipped as God. And he was one that fell to the earth and became Satan. So it's something that he wanted. And God will not share his glory with, with obviously that which is evil, but he will not share his glory with any man or any woman. And we need to remember that. That's what Isaiah declares. We are going to eat dinner with the Lord as we're going to see here in this chapter. And when we go home to be with the Lord. And when we have dinner together, we're not going to be able to, to sit there at that dinner and say, you know, I, I did such wonderful things, you know, and I deserve to be here. And, you know, none of that is going to happen. He is worthy of all honor, not me, and all glory. And he is all powerful. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And I know that as the Bible declares that if anything good has come through me in my life for the Lord, it's because he's worked that in my life. It's all because of grace. It's all grace, not partly grace. The blessings that I've received, how he's used me, uh, anything that I've done for the kingdom, it's all the Lord gets the glory. He working in me and through me. And it's all by grace. I can do nothing on my own. And then thirdly, we see here that they're saying in verse 2, for true and righteous 
are your judgments, O Lord. He's a righteous God who will judge sin. He judged the Babylonian commercial system that deceived and seduced so many into fornication and idolatry. That is the primary meaning here in chapter 19. He has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. But there's another application that I pray is a blessing and a help to you. That as you find yourself maybe even tonight, as we live for the Lord, as we journey through life, as we walk with him, that there are things that will come our way that are difficult. We go through loss. We go through challenges. We go through pain, don't we? And as we wonder, Lord, why? And this is hard. That we can say this, that righteous and true are your judgments, your decision, O Lord. And you see, we here on this side of eternity, we don't understand everything that takes place in our lives. Why God allows certain things to happen? Lord, why did I lose that loved one? Lord, why this pain? But we know that we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. And the day is going to come when the veil is going to be lifted. And we're going to see the eternal picture. And we're going to see clearly. And we're all going to cry together, righteous and true are your judgments. Righteous and true are your decisions, Lord, that you are good. And it was worked for good. For eternal good. And he wants us in the meantime to trust in him. And to walk in faith. And to rest in his love. And the way to get a proper perspective. The key really for me. When I go through seasons where I think. Lord why this? Or, or I don't understand. I, I think that the key for me. Is to see Jesus dying on the cross for me. And to know that he went to that cross. Because of his love for me. And as I look at him on that cross, going to that cross so I can have hope and eternal hope and be forgiven, I realize, Lord, you went because you do love me. And you died on that cross for me in place of me. All of my sins were placed upon him. He took the wrath for me. And if he loved me then, he loves me now. And if I can trust you with my salvation, Lord, then I can trust you right now completely. Even if I don't see the big picture right now with what is going on in my life. And I pray that we would come to, to that point of saying, Amen and Alleluia, Lord. Yes, I'm hurting. I got a hole in my heart. And I think as we see that the, the 24 elders here being mentioned are saying these things, a sign of real maturity and a sign of an elder is saying that righteous and true are your judgments, Lord. I don't understand it, but I know that you love me. Your promises are true for me. I can rest in your love for me. And you cannot do evil and you cannot lie. And you promised that you would work all things out for good for those who love you, who are called according to your purpose. And you have an eternal purpose, Lord. You know, these tribulation saints are not murmuring and complaining, but they are worshiping. 
And that's something that I want to learn to do more and more in that times of pain and, and questioning and wrestling. We all go through seasons like that, that I want to come to that place that we see David did so oftentimes, those psalms that are before us, written here, preserved for all eternity, that David cries out to the Lord and he speaks about the difficulties that he's gone through and the pain and the challenges, and, and yet he ends up worshiping the Lord. And that's what we should do. So this, this voice, verse 5, we, we read about this voice that comes from the throne. We don't know who it is. It could be Jesus or a voice of one of the angels as serve at the throne of God. But we continue reading in verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, as the sound of many thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. So God's summing up his plan for all history and so we see this summon of praise breaking out you can you can just sense the enthusiasm of worship the lord god omnipotent reigns the lord is going to reign and set up his kingdom the marriage uh, feast of the lamb has come verse 7 let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and, and his wife has made herself ready so one of the reasons that the, the multitude is so filled with praise is because the time has come for the lamb of god to be joined to his people to his bride it is a union so close that it can only be compared to a marriage between a man and a woman. And we know that as we've studied Ephesians chapter 5, as Paul begins to talk about marriage and the roles of husband and wives, that he says in that chapter something very important to us, that he says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's quoting from Genesis chapter 2, the definition of marriage, and he says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. You see, Christ he's our bridegroom we are the bride of Christ we are likened to the bride of Christ being washed by the water of the word as so to present us perfect without spot or blemish or wrinkle and so now we know that it's coming the marriage is coming where we're going to be joined and with Jesus Christ for all eternity and so verse 8 goes on, And to her it was granted to be arraigned in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Now they asked Jesus, What must we do? Remember in John's gospel, they said, What must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus said, This is the work of God. Believe on him whom he has sent. So to say that the wedding gown is, you know, uh, if you would, our righteous acts. Let's get a proper biblical perspective on this. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 10, you might write it down, but I'll read it to you. That in this righteousness of the saints being defined for us, that we read that, that Isaiah writes, that I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorn herself with jewels. So here we see in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, we are robed with his righteousness. 
not with our righteousness. Because later on in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 64 declares that our righteousness is what? Like filthy rags. You see, we see that illustrated very much in Zechariah in that book in chapter 3 when Joshua the high priest is standing there before the Lord and he has filthy garments on. Now to the people, the high priest would have the high priestly garment on. He would be considered religious. Look at the high priest. Look at his garments. He's so religious. He's so righteous. But when he stood before the Lord in that vision of Zechariah chapter 3, he had filthy garments on. And the Lord said, take those filthy garments on and put on clean garments. And that's a picture of as we come to Christ, that we are clothed with his righteousness. Righteousness is imputed to us. We cannot come in our own righteousness we cannot stand before the Lord and say look what I did to earn salvation look what I did to be righteous it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ so our righteous act is what embracing what he did for us on Calvary it is nothing that we've done on our own it is humbling ourselves and coming to him in faith and realizing that we need to be washed with the blood of Jesus Christ. And coming in faith to him and in him. And what he did for us on Calvary's cross and rising from the grave. In verse 9, then he said to me, write, blessed are, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. So th this, this really, when you think about it, verse 9. You know, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We are called to have dinner with Him. To the marriage supper of the Lamb. This, this is so wonderful. And I think about the day when we're all going to be together. You know, in my years of ministry, I, I've done a lot of funerals, you know, for people in the fellowship. And I think about them and how we miss them and how they were part of of our fellowship and, and family members that I, I've even done, you know, funerals for. And, you know, any of us that we lose a family member, and we are family here. Matter of fact, when we get to 1 Timothy chapter 5 in a couple weeks on Sunday, Paul's going to write to Timothy how we are to treat one another. It's going to be a very important lesson for us because we are family and we're going to go over that. But we're a family here. And when a family member goes, somebody in a fellowship or your own family, somebody close to you, that when they go home to be with the Lord, it's still painful, isn't it? We have that hope. We don't grieve as though we have no hope, but we still grieve, don't we? And in that loss on this side of eternity, it is painful and it is hard, but it is temporary. And I can't wait till we're all together, all of us, that we're all together at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're all going to have dinner together. And what awaits us is eternal and joyous. That is our future. We are all going to be together. And we're going to be together for all eternity. And I used to read this, and, and when 
younger, I was younger in my ministry, and I used to think, oh, I wonder what the marriage supper of the Lamb's going to be like, and, you know, what's going to be served and all of this. And right now it's like, who cares, you know? As long as Jesus is there, and we're all together. Revelation chapter 19 is our printed invitation. And I hope that we always remember every day that we wake up that we are the most blessed people on the planet. We are the most blessed people. And you might feel like, you know, the challenges that are before me, <laughs> I don't have much. I don't have two dimes to rub together. And, you know, my car broke down and all of this. You are the most blessed people on the planet because we have an eternal hope and this is our future. And yes, it's hard to navigate through the trials of life. But it's so important for us to keep an eternal perspective. You know, I was talking to somebody on the radio yesterday who was bringing up, you know, Eastern religion and talking to somebody that, that believed in that. And a lot of Eastern religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, you know, Taoism and all that, they don't believe in a personal God. But can you imagine um, Hinduism and, you know, he was talking to somebody from India and a lot of them believe in reincarnation. And there are even, what is interesting, that there are even those who say they're Christians that say, well, you know, I came from a past life. And that seems to be increasing for some reason I don't know. And maybe a past life, and now they're, you know, reincarnation. I can't think of anything more depressing than reincarnation. I mean, would you really want to come back here? I don't want to come back here. I mean, do you want to go through junior high again? I don't want to go through junior high again. Who wants to do that? I want to go home and be with the Lord. Or, you know, other religions that, you know, this is what you have to do to earn salvation or, you know, to reach nirvana or whatever. And what makes Christianity unique is this, that he did it all on the cross. And it's not based on what we do, it's based on what he did. And that is what's so unique and wonderful about Christianity. That Jesus Christ did it all on the cross and we just come to receive that free gift of salvation. And if there is anyone that you're here, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. He went to the cross because he loves you. And he died on that cross for your sins because the greatest need of any man or any woman is to be forgiven of sin. And he cried out, it is finished. He was saying, I did the work. I paid the price. You come and believe in me. He was put into a grave. He rose from the grave. All other religious leaders are in the grave. Buddha, Confucius, you know, Muhammad, they're all still in the grave. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem because Jesus conquered sin and death and proved he's the son of God and validated what he did on the cross. And he did it because he wants you to spend eternity with him. He wants to have dinner with you. He wants you to rule and reign with him in the millennium reign because that's what we're going to do. And, and for us to be with him for all eternity, he loves you that much. Who wouldn't want that? But yet we know that there are people that reject that. 
And as I think about this chapter, what's being said and what we're about ready to read, I can't, I can't help but think that, Lord, I just want to keep all of this in front of me and in front of you guys to be exciting, waiting for the expectation for our bridegroom calling us home because it's going to happen. So in verse 10, we read, and I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I'm your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So, you know, there, there's always a movement or, you know, this big interest in angels and, and um, you know, angel stories. And even some people have angel services and conferences and how to get in touch with your angel. You see, the church must resist the temptation to worship the supernatural because an angel can't save us. Mary can't save us. Only Jesus can save us. And the angel here says something very important. He says, I'm just, I'm a fellow servant. Don't worship me. No created being should be worshiped. Only the creator and Jesus Christ is the creator because Colossians chapter 1 declares for by him all things were created. And then he says here that for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? You see, prophecy at its very heart is to unfold the beauty and the loveliness and the power of Jesus Christ. It is to bear witness of Jesus. Any teaching of prophecy that takes our minds and our hearts away from Jesus, it is not being properly communicated. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revealing of Jesus Christ. That we can see him more clearly, that we see him on the throne, that we know that he's going to come back. It's more than getting out our charts, you know, and here's, you know, the seal judgments and the, and the trumpet judgments and all these things taking place. There's nothing wrong with doing that. It's more than just looking at future events, but it is looking at Jesus, his goodness, his power, his faithfulness, that he's on the throne, he's in control, and he is going to come back. And that's what John, who's on this island of Patmos, is going to be bringing back to a group of people that were really being persecuted and going through a rough time. And it is something that we need to know in these difficult days that we are living in. People are going to laugh at us because we believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. They will mock us and laugh at us. And this is a promise, the blessed hope that we have, that we are going to come back with him. And then we know that he's going to come for his church. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But this is a promise given to us. And that is the spirit of prophecy that Jesus Christ is going to come for his church. Jesus Christ is going to come back and establish his kingdom. And we are going to rule and reign with him and be with him for all eternity. So when it comes to the second coming of Jesus Christ, verse 11, now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. So here all of a sudden heaven is opened up. Uh, we saw in chapter 4 that John was caught up in the heaven 
And now we see that as he sees that heavenly scene, now the heaven is opened up and Jesus is going to come to this world and he's going to come back literally and physically. And, and as we look at this, the one who's coming is called faithful and true. Again, we've talked about before the coming of the Lord, two distinct events, so we're not confused. There is the rapture of the church that will take place before the tribulation period. That's when Jesus comes for his church. No one knows the day or the hour. Jesus said, I come when you're least expected." Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be harpazoed up, or it's the Latin word rapturous, where we get the English word raptured. It means a sudden taken. There's going to be a generation of Christians who are alive that is going to be caught up to meet them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. We're going to meet the Lord in the air. That is different than the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I believe that the rapture of the church, which is spoken of very clearly in the scriptures, again, more and more Christians and more and more even evangelical churches are saying there's going to be no rapture. The Bible says there's going to be a rapture. That's a promise. It's a blessed hope. We're told throughout the scriptures the, the, about the imminent return of Jesus. Be watching. Be waiting. Be the wise serpent, servant that's looking for the master's return. I come at a time you do not know. I believe he's talking about the rapture of the church. The second coming of Jesus Christ is when he comes with his church. We're going to come with him. So that's at the end of the tribulation period. So he's going to come in great power and glory. He's going to come and, and, and he's going to come to this earth literally, as I said, and physically. He's called faithful and true. In his first advent, Jesus rode that donkey from the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem. In his second coming, he's going to touch down on the Mount of Olives and he's going to be on a white horse. A horse in Jesus' day, a soldier riding a horse spoke of honor and power and authority. The first time he came was to die and to suffer. The second time is to rule and reign. He is faithful. He is true. He promised that as he would come, he would suffer for the sins of the world in his first coming. He promised he would come back again. And he's going to come back to rule. He, he promised that he would come in great power and glory. He will be faithful and true to the promises that he's made concerning his coming. And he will be faithful and true to the promises that he gives in his word to you. To you. In righteousness he judge and makes war. That is, he's coming as a judge. And a general to, to make war. And we see that a world that rejected him before rejects him again. But this time, he's going to judge those who reject him. Verse 12, his eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. His eyes like a flame of fire. Similar to John's description of Jesus in chapter 1. Those eyes of flames which will judge those who have rejected him. Those eyes of flame that will look at you and me someday. When we stand before him. 
Then we stand at the beam and reward seat of Jesus Christ. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that all of our works are going to be likened to wood, hay, and stubble, or precious metal, gold, silver, you know, precious metals. And all the wood, hay, and stubble of our lives, when he looks at us in those eyes of flames, those eyes of love, is instantly going to burn up. And all the things that we did for him, motivated for our love for him, that are likened to gold, silver, and precious stones, are going to shine forth. I hope that the longer that we live and walk with the Lord, that our heart would say this. I don't want to build on wood, hay, and stubble. I don't want my life to be built on wood, hay, and stubble. I don't want to build my life on sand. Because my Lord is coming back. And we're going to see in a few chapters that some of the last words of Jesus says, I'm coming quickly and I have my reward in my hand. That we're going to be rewarded for what we have done for him in this life. And we're going to talk about that quite extensively again on, on Sunday when we're going to see that Paul's going to be exhorting Timothy, Timothy, you must do these things. Let's labor together in, 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 in godliness and in striving for godliness. Doing these things, meditating on these things, continuing these things. Take heed to yourself. It's a powerful study that we're going to embark in on Sunday in 1 Timothy. I don't want this church... To build on wood, hay, and stubble. I don't want to give you chaff every week. I want to give you the word of God. Because there's power in the word of God and there's power in the gospel. There is not power in storytelling and entertainment and hype and all of that. I don't want this church to be built on wood, hay, and stubble. And I don't want my life to either. But I want to be about the things of the Lord and this church to be pleasing to the Lord in what we do and standing firm for the gospel and the truth of God's word. And as we read this, on his head were many crowns. In his first coming, he wore a crown of thorns. But Revelation 19, he wears uh, many crowns. It's a crown of royalty and authority. He is the king of kings, truly. He had a name written that one, no one knew except himself. His clothing, a robe dipped in blood. It's a debate whether this is his own blood, uh, the blood of Jesus, which cleanses and washes and forgives, or is it the blood of his enemies? In verse 14, and the armies in heaven and underline this, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed on white horses. That's you and me. That's the second coming. So the raptured church is when he comes for his church. The second coming, verse 14 here, is when he comes with his church. We are going to come with him. That's our future. I don't know about you, but I can't wait for this day. I can't wait for this day when we come back with him. You know, I was talking to, to Barbara uh, this week, and I was telling her a little bit as I was getting ready. She came in my office, and I was saying, you know, what I love about this is, is, is that we get to come with him. He's going to do all the fighting. I don't have to do anything. I just need to come with him. That's going to be nice. Don't have to make any decisions. Don't have to, you know, we're just going to be coming with him. It's going to be quite the sight, great power and glory. But this really does something for me, and I hope it does for you as well. That number one, it makes me long for heaven. 
It makes me want to live for heaven. And thirdly, no matter what I'm going through, I know that everything eventually is going to be okay. Because this is my future. And that causes me to have joy and peace in my life. We are the armies in heaven. Jude says he comes with ten thousands of his saints. We don't fight. We observe as we see, verse 15, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron and he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God and he had on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The idea here is he doesn't have a knife in his mouth like a you know buccaneer that he's spitting swords, you know, out. But rather, he who is named the word of God, he's simply going to speak, and his enemies are going to be defeated. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, you know the verse, a lot of you, that the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. So I want to encourage you. I want to remind myself, let's give people the word of God. Let it pierce their hearts. Let it do its work. And this is how we defeat the enemy, by speaking the word of God. When the temptations came to Jesus by Satan, how did he defeat Satan? By the word of God. It is written. When the enemies, you know, the Pharisees trying to trap him would come to Jesus, he would respond by saying, it is written, or have you not read? Give people the word of God. Even people that come against you, we can speak the word of God to them in truth into their lives. And he comes to rule, to reign, to triumph, to rule the nations, to establish his kingdom. Just as Psalm, two, Psalm chapter 2 says, he will rule with the rod of iron. He's in absolute control, not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Confucius, not some spiritual guru, but Jesus. And those today in the church that are saying, well, let's not just say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. On this day, they will see how foolish they are. Because he is the way. And he is going to be sitting on the throne. In verse 17, then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of the kings, of the flesh of the captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and the flesh of all peoples, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. You see, there's a second dinner mentioned here in chapter Chapter 19, there's the marriage feast of the lamb and then this supper of the great God where flesh eating birds will come and eat of those who are destroyed by the Lord. Those who try to keep Jesus from coming back at the end of the tribulation period. As we put prophecy together, we know that the nations of the world will gather in that great plain of Jezreel in the valley of Megiddo. And there will be that last battle called the battle of Armageddon. The kings of the east will come across the Euphrates. River, Revelation 16. Daniel chapter 11 says that the kings of the south will head towards Israel and the kings of the north converging on Israel to fight the Antichrist and his forces and all fighting each other. And this is what's amazing. When Jesus comes back, they will stop fighting each other and they will turn on Jesus to fight him. It just shows the depravity of man's heart and he will simply speak. And they will be destroyed. 
And then there will be the second dinner with the birds of the earth eating flesh of the kings of the world, those who lived after the flesh, and now their flesh is picked away, plucked away. It's a very ugly scene, isn't it? And that is what living after the flesh will bring, living for the world. Those who reject Jesus Christ. For us as Christians, we have a wonderful future. But I want to bring it home a little bit closer. If any of us that are Christians, that we are enamored with the world, are dictated by the flesh, remember that it was Paul that said that to be carnally minded is death, be spiritually minded is life and peace. And if you want to really experience that life abundantly that he has for you and peace and joy in your life, be spiritually minded. But if any of us, that we pursue the things of the world, always enamored with the world, there's just a dying that takes place. A dying in our soul and in our hearts and our closeness with the Lord. Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthian church, he addressed that. He, he said, I, I write to you, I speak to you as carnal, to babes in Christ, fed with the milk, not solid food. It was a carnal church. And we want to be ones that we want to move on to maturity, that abundant life that he has for us, to be spiritually minded and walking in the spirit and desiring to please him in our lives and to walk in holiness. And in verse 20, then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive in a lake of fire burning with brimstone and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So the beast, the Antichrist, thrown into the lake of fire, they're thrown into the lake of fire before the great white throne judgment that we're going to see next week in chapter 20, but I, I, I want to just give real quick application here because as we finish the chapter here, it, it's a glorious chapter. The second coming of Jesus Christ, we're going to come back with him. But what is interesting is I was thinking about this, um, that there's only really a few verses concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation, chapters 11, uh, verses 11 through 16. And, and I w was wondering, why so few verses? Because I'm one, as I go through this, I, I think about a lot of things. And I think, Lord, why didn't you give more details? We do know that the scripture says, again, that he will come, Zechariah, to the Mount of Olives. It will split in two. Jesus said he will gather his elect from the four corners of the earth. We know that the, the Jews that are there are going to come, a national restoration Paul writes in Romans chapter 11, in that day all of Israel will be saved. There's other things that are connected to the second coming of Jesus Christ. We see here that, that he's going to come in great power and glory, and we're going to come back with him. The armies uh, of heaven, that's you and me, uh, the saints are going to come back with him. We're going to be riding on white horses. But there's only really a few verses in the whole book of Revelation concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's like everything's leading up to that, and, and we go through chapter after chapter of all this that's taken place in detail in the tribulation period, the Antichrist, you know, the bull judge 
judgments, the, the seal judgments, uh, the trumpet judgments, uh, you know, the Antichrist persecuting the saints, all this heavy stuff. And I think, why is that in detail? But there's only a few verses about the second coming. And I think perhaps could it be that the Lord is getting across to you and to me that this world is coming to a terrible end. It's like a huge train wreck, if you would. It's going to be catastrophic. And John here receiving this truth and what's given to him doesn't pull any punches. He tells the truth that this world is not our hope and it's going to end in a very bad way. But there's the hope of the second coming, the promise He's going to come and rule and reign. And as I go through this book, I see Jesus, yes, more clearly. He's revealed to me. But I also am reminded of this, that this world is not where it's at. It's not where it's at. So don't get too enamored with this world. And to keep an eternal perspective. Because he is coming for us and we're going to rule and reign with him. And I want to live for him now. I want to live for him now. Because there are rewards to be given. And we're going to talk more specifically next time. Because we're going to rule and reign with him in the millennium reign. And he talks a whole lot about that. Being good stewards of what has been entrusted to us. Listen, don't put your trust in the world. Keep an eternal perspective. This world isn't our hope. But we have the hope of heaven. And as we come to the communion table here, we're going to come with remembering what Jesus Christ did for us and, and, and allowing his body to be broken and his blood shed in this new covenant that we belong to. And as believers, and if you're a believer, you're welcome to have communion. You don't you know, have to think, do I have to only take it if I belong to the church? If you're a believer, you belong to the church. And we hold the elements as a memorial to remember what Jesus Christ did for us. If anyone is here, you don't have faith in Jesus Christ. We want you to come to him. We want you to put your faith and trust in him for eternal life. And to know that he is salvation alone belongs to him. And to those who come believing that he died for you, rose again, and that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time together. And, and Lord, as we get ready to come to the communion table, it is for believers as we hold the elements, remembering that Jesus allowed his body to be broken and, and drink of the cup, his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. And, and so we do take this time as a time of just worship and, and remembering and at all at this incredible new covenant that we belong to because of faith in you. But Lord, I also want to take a minute, if there's anyone here that you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, maybe you're listening online. Maybe you're listening to this message later on the radio. That Jesus came and died for your sins. And every single one of us have sinned. And that's why he came. Because your sin has separated you from God. But Jesus is our mediator. He's our advocate. 
He died on the cross to make atonement for your sins. And he bore your sins upon himself and took the punishment that was meant for you. He died on that cross for you. And he was put into a grave and he rose again and he validated what he did on the cross. And now he says, come. That if you believe in your heart the Lord Jesus and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Will you come? Come in faith. Repent. Quit going the direction you're going. You can't earn salvation. You can't think that you're going to stand before God and be okay. It's not going to work that way. Quit going the direction you're going, the way of the world, because it's going to end in a disastrous way and turn to Jesus. Repent. That's what the word means. And give your life to him. Come in faith and cry out to him. We want to give you that opportunity right now that you can pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. I thank you for that. You rose again your life, speaking to my heart, and I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for hearing my prayer and for this new beginning and bringing me into the family of God and forgiving me. And I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And we're going to take a communion and and we're going to close the service. And if you made that decision, I want you to come and tell somebody.